Well, this is episode 24 of Talk That Talk. I'm your host, Fallon Stokes, and I have a special guest today, Anthony Wilkins. He is the assistant men's basketball coach at Georgia Tech. Been there for the last three seasons. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Big fan. I'm watching your growth, and, and I've watched it all the way through, so I'm happy that I get a chance to spend some time with you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you can join me today. So, you know, just to give a little bit of your background, um, you're from Atlanta and yep. you uh, attended Theral High School, but you were there for yes. two years. Then yep. you moved to Cleveland, Ohio and yep. finished your basketball career in high school at Glenville High School. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually got a scholarship and attended Kent State University where you had a good college career, um, yep. was a member of that 2002 Elite 18 that made it. And I don't think Kent State has gone that far since. No. Um, or that deep. Yeah. 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 But that yeah. speaks that speaks volumes about your career and what that team was about. Um, eventually, you played six seasons professionally between mm-hmm. overseas and in the NBA Developmental League, now yeah. the G League. Um, and then you made this transition into coaching after you retired or just put your basketball career um, on hold for, you know, well, retired and yeah. then decided to pursue coaching. For so sure. I just want to start off talking about your journey. You were in Atlanta for a little bit. Talk about your childhood and growing up and when you had, I guess, this whole idea or concept for the love of basketball and wanted to be a college basketball player. Well, you know, you kind of it kind of takes hold of you when you're young. And at the time, the media content distributor was TV. Yeah. And, you know, you at home and you watching the Hawks, you at home. And I grew up, you know, a big Georgia Tech fan, ironically, uh, watching those teams that Bobby Crimmins had and having some access to being able to go up, you know, to, to camps and different things. And so, you know, just the idea of being a professional athlete, you know, not unlike um, a lot of young people, it just kind of took hold of me. And um, it was something that I want to pursue with all with everything that I had. And um, I was fortunate that, um, you know, I attracted some mentorships to me that maybe helped me um, get a clear picture of what it would take to try to pursue it. And, um, you know, blessed and fortunate for some things to work out for me to have um, an experience where I've been able to touch all the things, however brief in some scenarios, all the things I wanted to do with the game. And um, from that, you know, just kind of discovered my, you know, the impact that I can have um, as a teacher and as a um, uh, person that can develop young men in the same direction that I was headed in at that time. So, uh, you know, Atlanta for me, uh, growing up on the West side, you, like you mentioned, going to Thayer High School, um, grew up right there between Campbellton Road and, and DeLoe and then moved on into Adams Park. Uh, you know, you know, just the, the culture of, who we are here and then in the basketball circles of who we are here and um, very satisfying to um, be here at Georgia Tech and and kind of move our program hopefully back in the direction that it was in when I was young. Mm-hmm. You know, that's crazy because, you know, I'm from Atlanta and, you know, we didn't meet till like probably in our 20s adulthood right? Um, when I finally got to meet you. But it's so crazy how it comes back full circle. This is the connections. I grew up on the opposite side of Campbellton road, unincorporated yes. so to be that close Greenbrier mall being the hangout. Spot. Yep. yep. You know, my brother's keeper over my there. Brother's around keeper. The corner. I was about to say, we probably ran into each other at MBK over there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's just, it's just a small world. You know, yeah. you don't really know who's in your backyard until, you know, actually meet. But, um, you know, after high school, you make this transition. Well, you move to Cleveland, Ohio and you yep. attend Glenville high school. So talk about, like, do you think that puts you in a better position to get a college scholarship, you know, transferring? Or was it just a family dynamic you had to move? Or what yeah. was that whole um, situation during that time when you decided uh, to move? We, we, those decisions weren't loaded towards, like, you know, but these days, a lot of moving around the country, guys you know, playing high school basketball, they move based on trying to get better situations. It was a better situation. Um my brothers, you know, I had older older siblings that were established in, in Cleveland. And um, as we were kind of, you know, after my sophomore year, uh, you know, 14, 15, going into 16, 17, 
it was just a decision made that it would be better as we transition into young adults, being around my brothers and getting some more of that energy, some, some of that energy. Gotcha. And, um, you know, it ended up working out, um, you know, just the structure, um, maybe some some discipline and um, and just having some a different viewpoint of, you know, breath of fresh air. But, um, you know, my development while at Thero, you know, I was under Coach Lowe at the time and uh, really the belated Quentin Martin was one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we, we he was one of the best players in the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And um, I took a lot of pride in opening his mail and I'm watching his recruitment and just being his little brother uh-huh. and um, watching him and getting to kind of be introduced to the Atlanta um basketball circle uh, through him, Mm -hmm. um, developing relationships. Um, uh, The late Wallace Prather uh, Mm -hmm. took me under his wing. You know, I wasn't much of a ball player at the time, but you could identify that I had a passion and wanted to play and wanted to be around it. And he always treated me in a way that gave me confidence about what I can become with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of learning it and feeling it. So I, I would say, you know, it was just one of those pivots in life that at that point, you don't necessarily know how it's going to work out. But mm-hmm. I'm also a believer that whatever you're driven towards, you can attract the energy around that will, you know, manifest it. And mm. while I didn't necessarily couldn't articulate that as well, that as well at that time, I absolutely had it held in my heart very dearly. And um, the circumstances at the time wasn't deterring my vision with it. So I was fortunate. Um to, to have some experiences and some access points that could change my perspective and allow me to grow and um, great mentorships that, that can keep me on track. But it was in, it was, you know, it was pivotal at the time. I just didn't know, you know, there wasn't a rhyme or reason beyond the fact that we thought being around my brothers would be better for myself and my nephews as we kind of transition into being young adults. Now I got that. You definitely need, those male figures, especially when you're growing into manhood and, you know, trying to learn just how to be a man. I mean, it's only, I think, a true man that could teach another man that. So, you know, going back, you're at Kent State at this point. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, your first, you you know, you guys were building, building a program, a winning program. Mm -hmm. And then you guys make that run in 2002 to the Elite Eight. So, Talk about that experience. Like, how big was that? I mean, was it what was the anticipation when the season started? I mean, did you guys know you really had a good team that could go this far yeah. or did it just continue its work and, and you just saw how it paid off in the end? Right. The season. What's well, interesting, you know, so my track before I got to Kent State, you know, I went to a couple of junior colleges, mm-hmm. um, you know, in pursuit of trying to find the best situation for me to develop as a player and, you know, having some opportunities at the time that might have been maybe greater in terms of, uh, you know, the level of program than than Kent, but then eventually um, landing at Kent, you know, what's relatable to maybe what's happening these days with a lot of guys out ahead of wanting to have a college experience that would have led me to go into the NCAA tournament. That was kind of a backdrop. I wanted just to go somewhere I can develop and hopefully be a pro. And that's not unlike what's happening, you know, the theme of what's happening for a lot of these young men. Of course, the concept of playing on a good team and playing in a, d- a dynamic where you can have those experiences is of some importance. But in terms of priority, you know, most of the guys who can play at that level are all thinking about, well, look, how how can this turn into, you know, being a professional? Right. And so, you know, looking back, I may have had more of my energy slanted towards you know, selfish, you know, reasons for trying to push that thing forward. But Mm -hmm. I was able to learn really early that developing into a high level pro would require you being a high level competitor. Okay. Usually high level competitors um, do what it takes to be winners, Mm -hmm. right? If you're a competitor, that usually translates, um, you know, into being a winner. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was my identity and that was our identity at Kent State was pushing towards it. And um, that competitive energy that we had there, we fed off of it internally 
And uh, I'm not sure if we ever, you know, there were some conversations about conceptually where things would go. Mm -hmm. More of just the grit day to day of trying to win daily battles. Mm -hmm. Right. And being very focused from one, what's in front of us to the things that's coming next. And, um, you know, I think sometimes you get lost in the optics of expectations, whether they're your own or other people. And you lose sight of the of the detail that mm-hmm. you really be like committed to, mm-hmm. right? In order to really um, distinguish yourself. And so I think we we were we had good leadership, we had a good stru- strong culture that pushed us all towards you know the controllables of what we can do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just kind of snowballed and um, led to us having the kind of success that we did. Yeah. You know, that's some great advice. I mean, you can only control what you can control. And right. I think taking things day by day, like mm-hmm. accomplishing those tasks and, and handling that, you know, not looking so far ahead. And I think it just keeps you in a good mindset to really, you know, go far in right. life or whatever that is, you know, whatever the occupation sport. Um, that's some great advice. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, after, you know, you leave Kent State and um you don't get drafted, but right. you're able to go to some camps, work out for some teams. Yeah. Um, and you really dove in and just was intensely trying to pursue a professional career. You were overseas for a few years as well. I talked about you being in the D league at the time. Mm-hmm. So like for potential college athletes who are trying to make the transition to mm-hmm. the pro, whether that's overseas or the NBA, whatever it mm-hmm. is, talk about, how detailed that is and how hard it is, the work you had to put in. It's ironic. We got some young men now that's kind of in the process of trying to push and try to, to make it and, and doing all that they can. And you you definitely get a bump from feeling that sense of, OK, my time is here and now mm-hmm. and I have to make it work. And you just you, you, you push yourself maybe further and harder than you than you would because you understand the importance of getting it done in the moment because right. this window is literally a window that's closing when it comes to whether or not getting drafted or eventually trying to make it beyond that. But it's, it's, it's really, really hard. And there's a lot of factors that are beyond your control. There are some things that are controllable that in terms of approach mindset, willingness to work hard, mm-hmm. willingness to grow, you got to be fortunate to have the kind of access to information that can help you understand what directions you need to grow into in order for it to be a real thing for you. Uh, but there's some also some things that you have no control over that put yourself in the very best position possible. You know, you kind of got to get lucky and you kind of got to have a situation that can help you in that regard. Now, what I will say is that the body of work that you can build in college can maybe um, impact some of those non-controllables in terms of how people view you and see you, mm-hmm. how they view your potential, how they view um, what you can contribute, what you're able to demonstrate in college sometimes can impact those views. And sometimes there's an argument in our game in particular that, you know, less is more in terms of younger guys with a less of a body of work, you know, in terms of NBA teams and general managers and personnel feeling like, OK, we can invest and in, in, in see this product, see this particular young man grow. But the other side of it is the longer you stay, the more ready you have to be when it's time for you to present yourself to that marketplace. Mm-hmm. It's less room. They don't look at you with the same sense of upside. Right. So tangible items that you can contribute mm-hmm. to a team is important. And um, sometimes, you know, for guys who stay in college a little bit longer, who have to take that route, it can benefit them if they're able to build a body of work that signals they're a winner, they're a competitor, they're a great teammate, they have a mature disposition that won't, um, that, you know, that could be helpful for younger guys that may be around them. And that, you know, coaches who coach in that league, they're trying to figure out how to win. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to, um, sometimes you got a mandate to develop young rosters, but, you know, a lot of times the thing that can, you know, save you is being able to win basketball games and coaches like winners. Right. Right. It's a, it, look, it's, it's something that I was committed to trying to be a pro and um, we're playing the NBA primarily. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that 
I had to be completely, um, you know, open and open to, you know, the information, uh, playing the game the right way, learning how to work at the level I needed to work at. And um, I was I read something the other day that said um, it's not so much, you know, what you get on the back end of of, of success is who you become on the way towards it. And um, I say that to say that because I was committed to making it and I was willing to do whatever it took. So it wasn't as much the information. It wasn't as much the opportunities. It was who I was becoming in the process of just, you know, my mindset being, hey, look, I have to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no alternative. There's no uh, plan B. This is what I got to get done. And it hardens your your, your heart. Um, it builds your character and you you kind of develop a relentlessness and a motor that um can be impressive. I didn't I didn't know it at the time, but that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. I was becoming more of a, you know, in, in our terms, like say a dog or a killer. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't accepting any other answer than figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Although, look, there were things at that time that I couldn't control. Right. <laughs> Whether or not there was an opportunity for me, if I if a workout could turn into a training camp invite, most times they don't. But what I could control was during that situation, the kind of impact that I can have on making an impression based on how I went about what I did. Mm-hmm. The long winding route that in terms of efficiency and likelihood was probably smaller. Mm-hmm. I was able to, you know, have some successes and, um, you know, was fortunate enough to, to, to have an opportunity well, with the Atlanta Hawks in 05, um, mm-hmm. you know, however brief it, 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 it changed my life because it gave me a sense of accomplishment coming from humble beginnings that no one would ever think that you could kind of get to that. Right. What kind of signal to me, Hey, no, look, you listen, if you really, really commit yourself, you can literally make happen what you want to have. However true. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I never told myself, no. And I never told myself, no, that's too good for me. Mm. And and it built a sense of, you know, hey, look, if I can manage my things that I can control, I can put myself in a position to be right there within striking distance and anything can happen at that point. Mm. So, you know, that that's kind of been my my story and, and, and the things that I kind of impart on the young men um, that I have with me now is that you know, you don't know the value of what controlling your habits and your intention and your day to day, you know, what that can lead to, mm-hmm. you know, that much power outside of what you can do. And if you can be disciplined, you can create a lot of what you want. Right. Right. So after six, about six seasons, your professional career, you decide to just, you know, stop playing and pursue the coaching, um, the coaching realm. So just a little bit, talk about that, how tough that decision was. I mean, when did you know that this was, you were done with basketball? It was time to move on to something else. I needed help, frankly. Like Mm -hmm. it it was the pursuing, pursuing being a pro Mm -hmm. was the love of my life. Mm. And it came along with heartbreaks, unbelievable moments of gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I was my commitment to it. Uh, the only way, only reason I maybe had some of the success I had coming from where I came from was that I wasn't accepting anything other than what I wanted. Mm. So the idea of transitioning from being on that track. So if you you know, you you 28, 29, you know, you've played at a high level. You, you, you know, you kind of you're you're probably one of the best in the world relative within maybe uh so if it's three or four hundred NBA, five hundred or so great jobs in Europe, say you're somewhere around the best twelve hundred players in the world. Fifteen hundred players in the world. Uh-huh. It's a small percentage. Right. And from my standpoint, betting on myself meant 
I'm going to will myself forward and do it. I'm going to will myself to being worthy of putting myself in the spaces that I want to be in. It was like the it was a continuum of looking in the mirror and always seeing the glass glasses being half full. So I'm right. not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm going to pursue this to the death. And fortunately, I built some relationships uh, with some people that took a liking to me based on, you know, what they know my character to be. Mm-hmm. And one of them that really helped me really transition from that was Jerry Stackhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, you know, he kind of took a liking to me as we would uh, run into each other in the summertime and, and, and compete and play. And um, he respected that about me. And we uh, did some things together on the back end of, his career, I was helping him get get in shape for uh, an opportunity. He was getting with the Milwaukee Bucks later on, and we kind of really got to get some real color for each other in that regard. And that moved into us uh, starting um, an AAU program together. And yeah. um, all of these things, while they're happening, it's kind of like, okay, we're doing these things. I didn't necessarily, I didn't have it as a goal at the time to transition into coaching. Right. Still in the back end of filtering opportunities to go and play different places and trying to figure out is the is it worth it, you know, based on what the situation was or do I need to look for something else and, you know, just kind of figuring that out. But then as we started that and, you know, it became so satisfying helping people grow and understand how to get better and kind of impart the wisdom that I was given or learned and that was really satisfying. I watched this group of kids have a lot of success. Uh-huh. It was just like I stumbled on my I stumbled on my life's calling. Uh-huh. And I didn't I wasn't I didn't grow up thinking that this is what I wanted to do. But, you know, I think that's how God worked. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he kind of, you know, aligns things and. You know, puts you in a position to have aha moments that you get understanding. Right. I think that was one of those moments. And we and we both of us, I think our our coaching desire took off from what we started within that group. Stackhouse um, Elite, right? That was the name of the AAU team. That was the name of the AAU team. And um very satisfying. Um Brandon Ingram, who's now an all-star with the Pelicans. Mm. Um Maya Caver, I think he's most recently with the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. And not to mention any number of kids that we were able to help get into college. Mm. life-changing event is having college paid for. Right. It was a very satisfying and, and, and rewarding um, situation that transitioned me into, you know, my, my life's work, the, really right. the work that I'm, that I know that I'm here for in terms of trying to help um, young men um, find the best version of themselves and not let the traumas of a lot of times what they grow up through, um, get in the way of, you know, who they can become. Cause mm. that's a story that I had to walk, live and, 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 and see through. Mm. So you, you, you said you just started coaching and, and you and Jerry Stackhouse with Stackhouse elite, Jerry Stackhouse is the head coach at mm. Vanderbilt for the men's team there yep. now. And then you're at Georgia tech, you know, just coming back full circle, but your journey. So you get an opportunity at Kent state, your alma mater, um, to work with player development, the director of player mm-hmm. development there yeah. for about a year. And then you transitioned to Tulane yeah. um, where you're the director of basketball operations and then eventually become an assistant men's basketball coach there. So, you know, that's pretty quick for somebody who gets into coaching. Yeah. Really just started in about 2011 um, yeah. to make that type of transition. So talk a little bit about that process and how did you have to network to make those connections and to get those opportunities to get your foot in those doors. Yeah, it, it um looking back at the trajectory of how things evolved, I mean, I you know, it hasn't been traditional, you know, and I'm fortunate, thankful, and I can't just sit here and just take the credit for it. There's just a lot of divine providence, um being favor, uh being blessed, um and having good people around me that that nurtured that whole deal. But what mm-hmm. I would say is that um, the idea that sometimes networking, how people approach what networking means, 
mm-hmm. can maybe undermine the authenticity that you have to develop mm-hmm. because you feel like that your success, while it's true that who you know will impact opportunities and how you grow. Yes, absolutely. I believe it. But really developing an authentic energy field disposition and security um, is what establishes like real like relationships of substance, mm. not just picking up a, a phone or introducing yourself or being willing to have small talk with people that you just met. Right. But the core of who you are based on the, the history of how I know you to be and watching you go through your journey with a certain level of integrity and a certain level of um, poise and commitment. Uh, those are the things that kind of signal, you know, is this the kind of person that you would speak vouch for, want to work with, and mm-hmm. um, you know, put your you put yourself out there for, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know, we Jerry and I would always talk about doing the work mm-hmm. at a high level. Just do the work, right. you know. Uh, being, you know, what's the point of making yourself known if you don't bring something to the table that's distinguished? Mm-hmm. And I was just at the time I just was lost in trying to take care of those kids and try to develop them as best that I could mm-hmm. and help them grow. Mm-hmm. And um, the opportunity at Kent State came along, Rob Senderhoff, um, I played from, he was an assistant at Kent my senior year. Okay. Gave me the opportunity to come back. And um, I was able to have an immediate impact on the young men that were there, maybe partly because of the experiences that I had. But right. behind that is just... Um, my ability to articulate um, how I felt transitioning into what I was learning and how to kind of like navigate it. Um, it just kind of took off on its own in that way. And uh, some opportunities presented itself at Tulane. I was willing to go there, you know, as a director of ops and, you know, learn it and, and, you know, and, and figure it out. And very soon I was, you know, promoted to be an assistant and those things. I don't take that for granted because mm-hmm. it doesn't happen that fluid and, and definitely not that quick, nope. but um, I was fortunate and um, I never took it for granted. And I just always try to do the very best job I could to try to help the people that were around me, mm-hmm. um, you know, offer some, some real substance and some real, you know, quality to the people that, you know, gave me the opportunity. Right. So you you get the call and you get an opportunity to join the staff at Georgia Tech in 2018. And, mm-hmm. you know, during that time, it's no secret. The men's team was going through a lot, you know, mm-hmm. through the NCAA and, and certain violations. But, you know, those kids, they still needed good coaching. And I, I think mm-hmm. during that time, how was your impact in just joining that staff with Coach Pastner? Um, to try to get these kids to refocus and understand that it was still something to work towards. Um, even when it was looking pretty grim, I think to the point where you guys, you know, accomplished everything you accomplished this season. I mean, ACC champions, tournament champions, yeah. um, making it to, and that's the first time since 1993, Bobby Crimson. Yeah. You guys make it to the tournament for the first time since 2010 when coach Paul Hewitt was the head coach. So, then you have two players, Jose Alvarado, Defensive Player of the Year. You've helped him and other guards on that squad with their development to really improve. And what he accomplished in his senior season was incredible, as well as Moses Wright. And he wins ACC Player of the Year this past season. And I can just say from a season ago and what I saw from Moses, he's always had the potential and yeah. the ability. But it was something that was really just brought out of him this past season that he was playing like a man child. I, yeah. I hadn't seen it. So yeah. just talk about what you had to do to join this staff to try and get these kids to focus on the task at hand and just getting better and working and how that just transcended full circle to this season. And you see what they were able to accomplish. Yeah. You know, it, it was nothing short of a dream job opportunity for me to come back to tech. Right. And, um, you know, in our process with Josh, like kind of coming along to him inviting me to to join his, his group, 
you know, I just would remind, I would try to make him understand how important and and how I view being at Georgia Tech, which would signal the kind of work and the kind of commitment that I would have towards building it. Mm. It's not just an opportunity. It's not just, oh, you know, you're, you're power five, you're in ACC, these, all these things that go along, oh, you're in Atlanta. Georgia Tech, to me, I was at Venetia Hills Elementary School mm-hmm. in the fourth and fifth grade uh-huh. when they were um, wheeling out the TVs on the, the, the thing for, for the ACC. Right, on the card. <laughs> and we're watching the ACC tournament. That's awesome. In the wet, on the, in the west side of Atlanta. And you, and A, because they brought a TV in. Right. Like, you know, that's like recess, right? But B, like watching and listening and, and, and seeing and having it impact my little heart. Mm-hmm. And it just, it creates an energy about how you feel about that thing. Right. To come full circle and to be in the business and have an opportunity to, to come rejoin that that was a drink regardless of the things that was circling around the program. I can mm-hmm. remember people um, that was telling me, cause I had some different opportunities that I could have maybe pursued at the time mm-hmm. was like, oh, you should pursue this one instead of that one, man, boo, this, that, and the third in my mind, I'm like, it's not even a comparison. Right. I, I wanted that job more than anything else. So coming in the door, I already had, and I already had a sense of pride about what it meant to wear the letters and the colors. Mm. It meant something to me very significant. Mm-hmm. And it it called for a certain level of uh, work, mm-hmm. uh, loyalty, um, grit. Cause I just, that I grew up watching these guys become all these things and be inspirations for me. And they signaled all of those things. Mm-hmm. The idea that before they redid the gym, I'm looking up at the wall and I'm seeing these names. I'm seeing uh, Dion Glover, mm-hmm. Stefan Marbury. I'm mm-hmm. seeing Jared Jack and mm-hmm. um, Mark Price. I'm seeing James Forrest mm-hmm. and this this energy, mm-hmm. I remember how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. I take my eyes off that and I look on the floor. And if we're not approaching what we're doing day to day, like it means everything. Right. To disconnect from mm-hmm. the nostalgia of what helped build me personally mm-hmm. to maybe where we were. Gotcha. So it was a painful thing to say because now, you know, I'm, I'm here mm-hmm. and your product is a reflection of you mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's things that we all can accept. I can accept giving everything I have and falling short. Cause you're going to leave that interaction feeling like that's a real one. That's a, that's a competitor. That's mm-hmm. a serious person. Mm-hmm. But not being fully committed to pouring everything you have into it is unacceptable. Mm. And that's, that had been my energy. And um, from that, we kind of, we approached our work in a very uh, specific way. We tried to make our, make our approach really process oriented. Mm -hmm. Who cited the results right now? Like let's, let's lock into how hard and how the quality of how we do things. Right. Control of how we do things. Right. And um, I watched our kids evolve and, and transform into elite competitors. Mm-hmm. And what's really satisfying was the buy-in that they had for our program and for each other. Mm-hmm. In a time where we were developed, they were developing and we had invested in them. And every year in those three years, these days, like the, the things that try to pull your kids from out of your program, the transfer and like mm-hmm. the different incentives that you'd be, you'd be shocked at some of the things that like 
happen behind the scenes. Right. And um, our kids had a strong market value, but they value being at Georgia Tech in our culture. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of that because mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily equipped with <laughs> the other, the, the different kind of resources that some programs have to kind of like make those pieces fit. Right. But those kids, they saw value. Mm -hmm. They understood that there was, it was value that they were creating mm -hmm. and they understood the value of building something with their own hands. A legacy. Mm -hmm. And they were connected to it in a way that even before, you know, landing on the success that we had this year, there was times during the year that I felt like this is how it's supposed to feel. Mm. Like, I didn't know what was how it, because it's hard in the ACC, trying to figure out how to distinguish yourself from that league. You can be really yeah. good and finish eighth. Yeah. It's, it's a tough league. It's too competitive. Best right. league in college basketball. But then people take, people don't understand. Right. Like, I don't get it. I mean, I gave, I can't, I'm biased because now I'm in the ACC, but like, you know, and I'm not to take away anything from the strong conferences out there, Big 12. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought the pack was underrated. But my point is, uh, there were times this year where I felt like this is how it's supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. this group, what we just did in that particular win or that particular half, that's how it's supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. So I watched a group of guys be committed to doing whatever it takes and receive being challenged, mm -hmm. accountable, coached hard, um, and and with all transparency, we wasn't it was no cut cards involved. We no. were, we and and I watched them grow. You mentioned Moses. Uh huh. I could remember, frankly, getting there and 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 there not being a consensus that he would make it mm. there, just um, based on his habits at the time. Mm hmm. Um, based on his approach, uh, based on his, um, you know, just different different issues. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I can remember specifically saying, because at the time we weren't like we were like shaking down the best recruiting classes in the league or anything right. like that. We were, we, you know, I said our, our success depends on figuring it out. Right. A guy like him. And right. there's brothers that we talked about specifically, but we don't have the luxury of feeling like that we can overlook what we have. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, making a commitment to him, maybe even when he wasn't quite as committed to himself mm. through where he was in his maturity level mm -hmm. and where he was in his love for what he was doing mm -hmm. and you know a young man evolving through traumas of his past right you know and challenges and trying to overcome that but not you don't understand the formula or the language or but you just you're trying to grow so looking at him and understanding hey look i don't need him to be perfect i don't need him to necessarily um always enjoy what we're doing. But if I can get him to believe that, hey, look, uh, we're doing this because I care sincerely mm. for your future. Mm -hmm. And if it's nothing but the fact that we get to spend this little extra time. Right. And right. We spend this extra time talking and we can right. point at how maybe you had an uptick in practice over the last three days and, and maybe how what what we've been doing together in some way contributed to that uptick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of building at a very organic level, trust and, you know, him gaining confidence mm -hmm. and him starting to enjoy how it feels to, to, to play well. Mm -hmm. But then he had to learn to enjoy how it feels to be trusted. Mm. It's a different thing. Earning trust because you've been productive mm -hmm. don't always lend to being trusted. 
Right. Because you're a competitor and your mindset is for the right things. Mm-hmm. Right. You mm-hmm. can be the best we have relative to what's in here. But then you earned another level of trust when you are a competitor that I can trust your decision making is aimed at doing what's right. Mm. These are all veils of growth that I watched him in particular go through. Mm. You know, like um, that's a good point. Like most people, we were in a pandemic. 2020 for most was probably the worst year ever. Mm-hmm. But seemingly like, I mean, the season and the year turned out well great for you and your team. Um, and I did hear at one point y'all were having contactless practices and I wondered how that worked. Right. But I understood we were in a pandemic. Right. Yeah. You think like just the more focus on the fundamentals, the intangibles, you know, the attention to detail, is that what, you know, catapulted your team to a whole nother level this season and yeah. having these discussions to help yeah. learn and mature. Well, no, I, I think the combination of going through the wars with the same people, having continuity mm-hmm. helped a ton, whether mm-hmm. it was continuity within the guys that was on the floor, obviously we'd add some pieces here, but having a group that was whole helped onboard those pieces in a very efficient way. Mm-hmm. The group being bought into what we were doing, we were finding success in what we were doing. We guys didn't feel like they had a better way and right. they weren't the noise. Cause a lot of time it's noise outside of those guys that, you know, people that's telling them that they should do it this way or this is not what's good for you. They were bought into how we were doing what we were doing. So it's easier to onboard people in terms of the learning curve of what it took to play for Georgia Tech. Right. Our, our nucleus was bought in. Okay. You factor in COVID and the challenges that came along with navigating a new space. Mm-hmm. We were fortunate that we already had continuity and been through the rewards with most of our main guys. Mm-hmm. But what COVID did was kind of threw for a loop your process for preparation. You don't mm-hmm. like you're trying to figure out, OK, you can't come within six feet. And if you're within <laughs> six feet for longer than this amount of minutes, you're a contact trace. And this is before we had the connection technology that will record all of this stuff. Right. I remember being on meetings about how we're going to approach last summer and bringing guys back on campus and the whole thing was just liability. And it wasn't, that was the whole thing. Like from a liability standpoint, here's what's available to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Let alone what you think makes sense based on what you know, like it's only a certain level you can go beyond. So we're trying to figure it out. And um, we only had, before we got the technology, a certain amount of time that we could be on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Cause we have to space it out between when we would uh, get tested after we test and everybody's negative, then we got a couple days window where we can do this thing. And then after that, if somebody comes back positive, then it would contract tech, tech trace everybody in that group. That's crazy. You see what I'm saying? So like we would have to space out time where we only going to do individual workouts for a piece, two on one side of the floor so that the contact trace wouldn't impact as many people. Right. That for four days. You test on the back end of that. Somebody come back positive. He only traced one, two people. You still got uh, uh, most of the roster. You can practice now. Okay. And then you hopeful that on the back end of the practice test, that it don't trace everybody. And then now we shut down for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Here was an exercise in patience, but discipline. Mm -hmm. Because we had some success that we proud of. How easily none of it would have came to bear if we were contact traced through COVID at the wrong times of the year. Right. Right. Visible. Damn near felt random at times, just how it would pop up. It would. I mean, I I hate to take it back, but it happened to you guys in the NCAA tournament with Moses. You think about that. You getting through it. We had some different guys. Uh, because we're not supposed to speak. It's like a rule that we're not supposed to speak on the health status of. Right, right. We're able to acknowledge it. I'm not sure right. how stuff works, but you know what was yeah. going on. Yeah. But my point is, we get through the year and we were able to kind of work through it. Moses was contact traced before um, the Kentucky game. 
right? His roommate popped up with it. And he ended up having to be a contact trace. But then the CDC releases new guidance that says, okay, if you can test after a certain amount of time, you can get out of quarantine if if you still were negative throughout. Right. The night before, we play Kentucky. We 0-2. Yeah. In Georgia State. Yeah. He's clear. That was a huge win. We work him out for 30 minutes that night just to kind of get him loose. Yeah. He goes out and dominates Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a pivot in our season that kind of put the breath back in our, our lungs of feeling like we can reach the goals that we set this year. Right. Right. We can't take for granted the opportunity or being on the floor, taking it for granted leads to what we just experienced. Mm-hmm. Sure. Preparation impacted that. So we just had to learn practice is so important. When we go on live, it's important. Yeah. We, we like we had to mature because our goals were in the and the threat of not realizing our goals. We were confronted with that from day one, going on two versus teams that people would expect us to, to be. Well, I think we're still underrated teams, but yeah, we were smack right in our face with all these things you say you want it, want to happen. And it, it don't have to, especially if you're not committed to being grimy and, and, and getting it done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. putting in the work preparation. You know, it's just, just from a competitor standpoint, not being, not trying to evaluate, Oh, this team ain't in the ACC. This is not a power five team or, you know, or the, the backdrop of trying to play well and look good and develop a stat line that you can jockey in for position. Who's going to be the quote unquote man. You looking in all these directions. And meanwhile, it's costing you your goals. Mm-hmm. Our business, you lose the wrong games. You don't get to go. Mm-hmm. No, that is so true. And I think that just resonates. Like, I love that story because, um, you know, that was the turnaround game for you guys. Yeah. Beat Kentucky and pretty handily beat them. And it was surprising. I know that made every network in the nation what I saw. It. And yeah. then just to come back towards the end of the season and see what you guys were able to accomplish. I honestly think you guys would have gone further if you would have oh, Moses, but you know, things about that. It's our that's what I, said. Here. I mean, and we really, we really gave one away versus Loyola without, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I know. We, yeah. Still, we still, you know, we jumped out on them, but we didn't sustain it, yeah. And um, but with, with another anchor to help us secure a few first chance rebounds, mm-hmm. most the impact that Moses could have had against his matchup, who was an all American matchup, mm-hmm. Moses would have played at a really high level. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily have to in order for us to still do what it needed to get past that. And then you see what they did with Illinois, who was a one yeah. seed. That's where we've been landing. But yeah. you know, listen, I don't think, you know, I was appreciative of being able to get that far. I realized it didn't have to happen. Right. There were things that worked out in our favor that allowed for us to get to that point. And um, it's a it's a quote that I heard from somebody. That that said, um, when calamity strikes, is usually when fortune is close. Mm. And um, that was much. That was a calamity for us not to have, you know, one of our main guys won eight straight games. You go through the ACC and you win the tournament. You know, you, you do that. You're prepared to make a real run. Right. But that imp that situation, I think, will turn into, you know, an even higher point on the mountain. Um, for us at some point. Mm. Well, that's awesome, Anthony, just to hear your journey from your personal side of being a professional athlete, college athlete, to coaching now, working with these young men and and really trying to prepare them for life and the next level. And um, I think you threw some gems in this interview today that's going to be quite helpful for listeners and viewers and especially young kids or, you know, anybody that has aspirations of being a collegiate athlete. Right. But I like to end the show okay. with the talk that talk questions. I call them the triple TQ. So hit me with it. I'm going to hit you with it. All right. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to young men 
who have aspirations of playing college basketball? The number one advice I would give is how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, I'm, you're, it's good to be focused in a singular way, mm-hmm. but you cannot abandon your character, abandon your responsibilities, abandon uh, executing details and all the things that you're responsible for and think that the basketball piece will save you. Right. Basketball will fail you in the direction that you're not disciplined. You're not uh, accountable. You're not uh, demonstrating high character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that was what, that's what I would tell you. Okay. Your ability to go into a classroom that you don't necessarily in a subject that you don't like, but to exercise the kind of focus and discipline to meet the standard and excel in that classroom, mm-hmm. then how you'll be able to perform as a basketball player. Mm-hmm. There's direct correlation. If gotcha. you have no desire to do what's hard, you won't be able to draw from a reserve to be able to, to get through when it's hard in the other way. Mm-hmm. And the next question, um, what would you say that what's the impact that basketball has had on your life? And would you change anything about your journey? I wouldn't at all. I fell in love with it very early. Doc Rivers, Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb, early Georgia Tech. This is what I knew. This is what I loved. This is what I wanted to be. I was fortunate to have a taste of it on every level. I wouldn't change anything. I just would say, what I've learned through it is what I'm able to give to my young guys now. Mm. And, um, while I had great mentorships, uh, access to information is critically important. Right. right. So I just don't take for granted um, the, the, the influences that I have that keep me growing in the right direction. And mm-hmm. I not take for granted the impact of my own influence with the young men that I'm charged with. Mm. And then the last question, what is the legacy that you want to leave for future generations? Great question. In a time where it's brought to light um, the disparities of that, you know, black culture up against Mm -hmm. this backdrop being in America and the challenges that we've had to get through and, um, I'm in a position where uh, I'm able to reach a lot of young men who look at playing sports as the outlet for them to be successful. However, mm-hmm. incorrect or limited a scope that may be, it's a touch point and it's a point where there's a lot of belief in that to whereas it can change their life in a whole different way. Right. I'm sat- it satisfies me to watch um, young men like we talked about go from one point all the way up to another, mm-hmm. not just in how they mature on the floor, but how they mature in terms of seeing life. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that, I'm hopeful that I'm helping planting seeds that they understand that their responsibility is to now turn back and offer the same thing that was given to them. Right. Paying it forward. I was prayed over. Mm-hmm. I was sacrificed for. I was poured into, I was mm-hmm. invested in. Mm-hmm. I do those things with a sense of obligation mm-hmm. that without those things, I wouldn't be here, happy mm-hmm. with what I'm doing with my life and excited about the future. Mm-hmm. They have to do those things. And if my legacy is being an extension of that, of that lineage, Mm-hmm. Then I, I've done my job. I thought I'll end it with this. The best quote I thought it was um can remember exactly where it came from. There was like take take the analogy of a tree that was uh that's in Brooklyn mm-hmm. with its glorious branches and leaves. One day um it too will leave its legacy through the seeds that it passes on to the ground. Mm-hmm. And the wind um go and take those seeds and deposit deposit them wherever they would take root, a new life will begin for each one of them and stand as a monument to the one that came before. 
that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Concept. That's if I did nothing, that's why I would, I would feel good if that's how somebody thought of me. Ah. Well, that's incredible, Anthony. I appreciate you joining the podcast. Um, Enjoyed it. And I want to congratulate you on a great season. You know, I'm glad you guys are you are working hard to turn the program around. Mm-hmm. Did some positivity during this pandemic, and it was great to see both the men's and women's team made it to the tournament and, and just had great seasons and performed well. So I was happy to watch and, and witness it. So yeah, you GT alumni. So like, that's another thing. Like, yeah. like yo, the energy that came back from people who really like love Georgia Tech. That's mm-hmm. so satisfying. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. be so proud and be yeah. so excited. Cause it's been so long that they had something to really feel the certain. We've had guys who get drafted high or guys, who get, but like to feel good about man, this team, this is right. what that is super satisfying. That and is. Being a part of that is like is is really. I mean, you know, I live in Midtown, uh-huh. so like moving around like it that has been just so unbelievable. Oh yeah. So um, being able to be a part of that that is that's a gift within itself. Mm. Well, continue to do what you're doing. You know, I'm always be watching and staying in touch to see sure. how you continue to progress. But again, congratulations and thanks for joining me today on the pod. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. I appreciate you giving the platform to discuss maybe our successes as a program. And and um, I'm really excited about what you're building here um, with your show. So anytime you want to have me on, I'm, I'm willing. Ah, thanks, Anthony. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good rest of your day. All right, you too. So this was another great episode. Episode 24 of Talk That Talk. And we had the privilege, or I had the privilege, of having Anthony Wilkins, the assistant men's basketball coach at Georgia Tech, on the show. He talked about his journey as a collegiate player at Kent State University to transitioning to the pros for a few years and then having to make that tough decision to end his professional career to focus on his next step, which was coaching. And Seemingly, it seems like it was an easy transition, but it's never easy. He really had to put in the work, um, making um, thoughtful decisions when it came to networking, building relationships with the right people that just really put him in the right place. And I think it all started with his work ethic, how he performed as a college player and how he performed as a pro. So when you're able to make those connections and I I love having my interviewees have or tell these stories is pretty um, emphatic of how you can see how one journey can go or your life can be going in one direction and then totally going the opposite and you can have great success. So congratulations to coach Wilkins, the Georgia Tech men's basketball team this season, ACC champs, as well as making the NCAA tournament for the first time in over a decade. So that was a great episode and I was happy to have Anthony Wilkins on the show. But I'm going to continue the trend like I always do and give the Black Business shout out. And this week, the Black Business shout out goes to Ahmad Abdul Ali. He is a childhood friend of mine, one of my best friends, close friends. But he started this new business and it's called Ride with Greenwood. He is providing hybrids or clean vehicles using cars or he is purchasing and allowing you to rent cars that are great for the environment. You know, we need these type of vehicles. Hybrids are very important right now to our environment as we continue to go through this whole thing called global warming. But Ahmad Abdul Ali is trying to make a change and is doing and being about his business like he always is. He's always had entrepreneurial spirit in his soul. And this is just another creation that he's going forward with and just doing big things with. So you have to go check him out. Again, Ahmad Abdul Ali his business, Ride with Greenwood. And you can go find and see the cars that he is allowing his customers to rent at the webpage, which is ridewithgreenwood.com. So go check out Ride with Greenwood, rent a car, tell Ahmad Abdul Ali I sent you. And that's the Black Business shout out this week. So go check him out. But then again, this was another excellent episode. I really enjoyed my guest, Anthony Wilkins. This is episode 24. Stay tuned to the next one, but you need to tune into this one. So see you next time.